Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, it's great to be at Point Baptist Church. Uh, as has been said, my name is Steve Parsons, and um, I grew up uh, in Cornwall. I'm a Cornishman. Have you got any Cornish people in? Come on. Proper job. So I grew up in Cornwall uh, on a steady diet of pasties and clotted cream. Cornishmen don't live long, but we live happy, you know. And... Um, and uh, when I was 20 years old, so a few years ago now, I, I went into a full-time uh, evangelism ministry, music ministry, traveling around, uh, doing music and outreach all over the place, um, all over the UK and all over other countries as well. And I made the classic mistake. Have you ever made this mistake? Have you ever told God you, want, you won't do something? I said to God, I will never be a pastor. That's what I said. In fact, somebody came up to me uh, once and they said, I said, I think you're going to be a pastor one day. And I said that if you ever see me being a pastor, it's because God spoke to me audibly. You know, that kind of thing. I will never be a pastor. Anyway, two and a half years ago, I became the pastor of uh, Titherington Family Worship. So uh, that's the end of the sermon, really. Uh, Don't ever, ever say never to God. Um, So you are in a series uh, on generosity. And what a great series to be in. And uh, I've been asked to speak this morning on uh, being generous with our fellowship. Being generous with our fellowship. Um, As Christians, we are called to do something much more radical than just believe in God and go to church on Sunday. I know sometimes that's what Christianity can seem like. I believe in God, and I go to church on Sunday. But actually, we're called to do something far greater than that, aren't we? We're called to model to the world a completely different way of living, a completely different lifestyle. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is quite challenging. So I don't know if you've got your phone with your Bible app or, or your, if you're an old-fashioned paper version Bible person like me. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 just down to the end of the end of the chapter, read some verses, and then we're going to think about what it means to live and be generous with our fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, it's a really interesting passage of Scripture, isn't it? One of the things that's really interesting about this time in the early church is that just before this, uh, the church has had what you might call a bit of a growth spurt. 
they've gone from being 120 people to 3,000 people uh, as a result of one sermon. That's not bad, is it? Can you imagine if, if Will came up and preached and he knocked it out of the park and your church suddenly in one day grew by 3,000 people? Um, it would be a bit of a challenge, wouldn't it? To be in a church that grew that rapidly? Because suddenly there would be all kinds of people. You wouldn't know anybody, would you? And we sort of pride ourselves as Christians, sort of knowing each other and getting to know each other. And suddenly you'd be in a church where you did not know anybody. There's 3,000 uh, new faces. And before uh, you say, well, amen, bring it on, Lord. Um, we have to think about the challenges of that. How do you suddenly reorder your life so that you have real fellowship uh, in a community of 3,000? And then we're told, not only do they grow to 3,000, but daily, other people were coming to faith. Day by day, other people were giving their lives to Christ. So this a massive explosion of church growth. And so what happens is the early church starts to reorder themselves. And, and we read these verses, and uh, they're challenging verses, aren't they? We got, we got this idea that they, are, they have all things in common. Nobody said that anything was their own. Anybody else feeling a little uncomfortable? A bit challenged. Nobody said anything was their own. They were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to those in their community, those in their fellowship. Uh, whoever had need, they made sure that they were looked after and taken care of. Now, when we read bits of the Bible like this, these challenging verses, um, I think there are a couple of responses that are typical for Christians. The first response is we panic. Anybody ever read bits of the Bible and you're, oh no, what on earth do I do with that? You read something like this and you think, what, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go home after church today and sell my house and give the proceeds to the youth group? I mean, what, how does this work? We read these challenging verses and we panic. Uh, the other uh, thing we do is we go to the other extreme and we read these challenging verses and we sort of just play them down. And there's always some, um, some Christian you can find somewhere who's an expert in playing the Bible down a bit, you know. And they'll say something like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, you're not going to worry about those bits of the Bible. That was just for those people at that time. Have you ever heard anybody say stuff like that before? So either we panic at one end of the spectrum or we play the Bible down at the other end. And we say, well, we just, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll ignore that bit because it's uncomfortable. I think there's a third way. A third thing we can do is we can ponder. When we come to a challenging bit of the Bible, don't panic. Don't play it down. Don't ignore it. Ponder it. And we should ask ourselves, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? What are we supposed to do with bits of the Bible uh, like this? So that's all I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to do a bit of pondering with you. Is that okay? And we'll think about some of the things that we might be able to learn as we look at these, uh, these verses. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that there's something going on here called devotion. Devotion. It says there in verse 42 that they devoted themselves. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. 
They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, there's something different about being devoted to something, isn't there? Than sort of just having a casual interest in it. Some of you here, maybe you are devoted to your career. And what that means is that you're really into it. And it's sort of the, it's the priority of your life, your career, where you're heading. Maybe there's some uh, ladies and gents here today and you're sort of devoted to golf. Any golfers in? No? Nobody in Poynton plays golf. One poor man over there, one suspect. Um, but if you're, if you're devoted to golf, you're really into it. You know what I mean? You think about it. You're, you, you, you organize your life around it. I've got a question for you this morning. How devoted are you to fellowship? Would you, would you say you were devoted to it? Devoted to the people that you're in church with? Devoted to the community that you're a part of? Uh, how devoted are you? Because you, what's going on here is they're so devoted to each other. It says they're together all the time. They're together in the temple every day. They're together in each other's homes it can be challenging to be devoted, can't it? You know, have you ever been at home and you're sort of like, oh, there's a, there's a church, you know, evangelistic event on. Shall I, shall I go to that or shall I stay at home and watch, you know, Strictly Come Ice Your Fruitcake or whatever's on the TV? And, you know, what shall I do? And we could become sort of casual about fellowship. But the early church, they were devoted to fellowship. Uh, the other thing that I'm struck by in this passage, it says in verse 43, there was this sense of awe and wonder amongst this, this early group of believers. They were struck with a sense of awe and wonder. Miraculous things were happening amongst them. I think that's one of the reasons that they were so committed to each other is because something in their heart, something in their spirit was uh, transformed Something was going on deep within them. There was this sense of awe and wonder. I have a, another question for you this morning. When was the last time you said, wow? Wow. When was the last time you read a passage of Scripture and your response was, wow? When was the last time you had a, a worshipful moment and your response was, wow? Because isn't it true that we can get a little bit casual with our faith? It can all become a little bit familiar, can't it? It can all become a little bit normal. Um, and we can sort of find ourselves coming to church and even a good church. And I, you know, this is a great church and there's a wonderful sense of something going on here. And I hear good reports, you know, all the way over there in Titherington, they leak over there, these reports about PBC. And that's wonderful. But you can still find yourself coming on a Sunday morning, perhaps to church, with a sort of blasé sense of, well, here we are again, you know, we're going to, the band will get up and they'll, they'll sing some songs. And well, have you ever sung something like we sang this morning? How great, how great is our God? And actually, you're sort of thinking about, I wonder, wonder what we're having for lunch today. How great is our God? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, how great is our God? When was the last time you were gripped with a sense of awe? I've been a Christian since I was 11 years old. Became a, uh, grew up in a, my dad was a pastor. It's probably the reason I told God I would never be a pastor. Grew up going to church, heard the gospel lots of times, made a commitment when I was 11 years old, and I'm now 46 years old. 
And uh, it's hard to tell with bald people, isn't it? It's kind of hard to put an age on bald people. Uh, 46. And um, uh, if, if I'm really honest, there have been seasons in my life where I've been filled with awe and wonder, and there are other seasons in my life where it's just gone a little bit flat. It's just got a little bit routine. It's just been a little bit familiar. I wonder where you are up to this morning. Maybe there's somebody here, and actually what God wants to do in your life today is reignite a sense of awe and wonder. And, and you, so you marvel again. You have a sense of majesty again. Because we cannot have real fellowship by just trying harder. Something has to be going on deep within us that fuels us to have real fellowship one with another. And so when we're devoted and we have this sense of awe and wonder, we start living in a, in a, in a different way. Fellowship's an interesting word as well, isn't it? The word fellowship sounds like a very Christian word. You don't hear the word fellowship very much outside of church life. And when I grew up in Cornwall, I, I grew up in a little church, a little village. Um, uh, 40 or 50 people went to our church. And I thought, here's what I thought fellowship was. Fellowship was what you did for 10 or 15 minutes at the end of the service. You know what I mean? We'd say, right, we're going to have a cup of tea and a rich tea biscuit. And we're going to have fellowship together. What, uh, what is it with Christians and rich tea biscuits? I'm on a mission to rid the church worldwide of rich tea biscuits. I think we should be having much better quality of biscuits in our... I, I, to be honest, we're in Poynton, so I've got an idea. You probably don't do rich tea biscuits here, do you? Not in Poynton. You go to Waitrose and get your biscuits, don't you? Um, where I grew up, we had, we had builder's tea and rich tea biscuits, and we had a time of fellowship... And what fellowship was, was something like this. Uh, you, you would walk up and say, say, hi, Fred, how are you? And they'd say, oh, I'm fine, I'm great, good, how are you? they say, oh, I'm fine, I'm great as well. Well, praise the Lord, brother, you're fine, and I'm, I'm fine, wonderful. Hallelujah, got the victory, praise the Lord. <sighs> Do you see match of the day last night? You know, that was fellowship. And we'd have a nice little natter for 10 minutes and then get back to our normal lives. And that's very different from what we're reading about here in Acts chapter 2. A group of people that love each other. A group of people who are passionate about each other. A, a sort of shared sense of doing life together. There's a great quote from one of the early church theologians. Maximus the Confessor said this, Christ shows us a completely new way to be human. Don't you love that? Christ shows us a completely new way of being human, a different way of living our lives. I think what fellowship is meant to be has something to do with showing the world a different way of being. Showing the world there's a different way of having relationship. There's a different way of loving one another. See, if we're not careful, what happens is, as Christians, our lives are basically the same as everybody else's with a bit of icing on the top called Jesus. If we're not careful, uh, we have exactly the same values as everybody else, exactly the same priorities as everybody else. 
our lives just look like the world around us, and we just have a little bit of icing on the top called Jesus, called Christianity. Actually, God wants us to reorder everything about our lives. And that's what's going on here in the early church. Have you noticed in our society how separated people are? Have you noticed how isolated people are, how lonely people are? And we can see it, can't we? Uh, right before our eyes, our fa the fabric of our society becoming disjointed. And right now in our nation, people are angrier perhaps than they've ever been. We're angry about everything. We're getting torn apart over the whole Brexit issue. It's certainly not bringing us together, is it? There's no sense of unity. Wherever you are on, on that side of the, you know, what you think should or shouldn't happen, there's this sort of tearing apart. Our young people are scared because their families are breaking down. What is the answer to that? I'll tell you the answer. The answer is sitting in your seat. The answer is PBC. The answer is a church that loves each other. A church that demonstrates to the world a completely different way of being human. It says, Let, we're going to show you something. We're going to show you what it means to really be together. To passionately be committed to each other. That's different, isn't it, than just having a rich tea biscuit and a natter about match of the day. Now, um... The other thing we learn here is that Christianity is not a solo sport. Christianity is about us. It's about we. Uh, it's hard, actually, to think about Christianity in a solo kind of way. And perhaps we do that in our, in our modern world. We kind of, we look at Christian life as though it's about me and what can I get out of it and what is the church giving to me? And what we learn here is that they were order, ordering their life in a completely different way. It was about what can I give to you? How can we be in this together? Um, have you noticed even the Lord's Prayer? Now, you can pray the Lord's Prayer on your own, but have you noticed it's not a, it's not a me prayer, it's a, it's a we prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It's a, it's a we thing. You know, there's a trend in our world, which is to kind of, uh, have you met people, maybe you're here today, you've maybe even said this before, I'm just doing church at home on my own today. And I get that there's a way of, if you're sick, if you're ill, you can tune into the, to the TV and you can enjoy some ministry, I get that. But I don't think the early Christians would have known what you were talking about. If you'd said to them, I'm just going to do church at home on my own today, they wouldn't have a clue what you were, you were saying. Because for them, the church was not them, it was us. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart is that as I've traveled in ministry, I've spoken in all kinds of churches all over the world. I've seen big churches, small churches, in-between churches, formal churches, bells and smells churches, monster raving, loony, charismatic churches, everything sort of in-between. Uh, and I, I think it's great. We, have, we, have, we are one body with lots of different expressions. But here's the thing that breaks my heart, is to see how churches so easily get divided. To see how the enemy so easily separates us. To see how Christians fall out with each other. 
See how Christians argue with each other. See how Christians pull in opposite directions to come into a church. I don't don't know, maybe Point in Baptist Church is different than all the other churches, possibly. Maybe you're on another level. But my sense is if you're like every other church, there are probably even people here in this church today who don't talk to each other. Or at the very least, they sort of avoid each other. Because they say, well, I don't really want to talk to her. I don't really want to talk to him. It breaks my heart to see that somehow we so easily get divided. I was at a church in Wales once. And I I was there. uh, I did a concert there, an outreach concert. And the church was full. It was full. It was packed. And a whole bunch of people made commitments. It was one of those kind of nights. You know, one of those just you know, blow your socks off kind of moments. And I went back about two years later to the same church, and it was half empty. And I thought, well, that might just be because I'm here, you know. And uh, But I spoke to the pastor afterwards. I said, oh, I just noticed that, you know, it was quite, it was empty. And, and he said, oh, yeah, we've been for a real church split lately. We've all, a lot of people have left, and a lot of people have moved away. And I said, man, you know, what, what was that about? Was it a, some great theological argument, some great theological debate? And he said, no. We bought a new carpet. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound like the church? We bought a new carpet, and it was the color that they didn't want, and they didn't want this one, and they wanted that one. And before you know it, we so easily get separated instead of being pulled together. Is there something that's eating you up this morning that you need to let go of? Is there someone in this church today that you need to forgive? Stop bearing that grudge. Let it go. Okay. How can we get better at this? how can we get better at this? Because I'll be honest with you, there are days, and maybe you have days like this, where I think I'm amazing. Like, do you ever have a day like that? You just go, wow, I was amazing today. I, I was so full of love for people, and I was so patient. And that person, you know, they dumped on me and I just loved them anyway. Uh, <laughs> You have those days, uh, and then you have the other days. Do you have the other days where you realize you're not so incredible at this? It's quite hard to love people. It's quite hard to be in fellowship with other people. And so I want to get better at it. And if you would like to get better at it, I've got a few things. uh, I've got three things to share that hopefully will help us get better at this fellowship thing, being generous with fellowship. I'll give them to you quickly, uh, and then we'll kind of dive into them just one by one. The first one is reordered priorities. The second one is renewed vision. And the third one is revived hearts. Reordered priorities, renewed vision, revived hearts. So, first one. Have you noticed that when Jesus came, our model for this actually is Jesus. If you want to look at any any model of how does fellowship at its best work, you've got to go to Jesus. He is our example. Remember it says in Philippians chapter 2 that when Christ came, he didn't come to lord it over people. He emptied himself. He became humble. He became a servant. 
that's uh, what we're supposed to be like. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, have the same mind as Christ. We're told to esteem others as better than ourselves. There's a challenge, isn't it? I'm supposed to look at you and you and you and you and you and you and go, they're, they're better than me. I esteem them as better than me. That's very different than the world we live in, which is it's all about me and I'm, I'm more important actually than you. Jesus, uh, his priority was relationship. One of the first things he does when he goes into ministry, he says, this is not a solo sport. He calls a team. He, he brings his disciples together, and they're in it together. For three years, they're traveling together. They are uh, eating together. They're, they're camping out together. They're staying in people's homes together. They're doing ministry together. Uh, a disciple at that time, uh, their job was to follow their master, their instructor, their rabbi, uh, as closely as possible. So for three years, Jesus models fellowship. And have you noticed that he doesn't model fellowship with his disciples because of how great the disciples are? Because the disciples are just like you and me. They're getting it wrong all the time. They're mucking it up all the time. And yet he keeps pulling them together. And as we're, you know, we're approaching Easter, as they come toward the cross, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays that his disciples will be one. He said, Lord, let them be one. Let them be together. He washes his disciples' feet. And he says to his followers, I've set you an example for you to do. If I've washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And so we've got buckets set up at the back today. And on the way out, can I um, get some water? i just grab this. I, I can get my own water. I've got some. Oh, we got. Thank you very much. So Jesus sets an example of washing feet. He prays for unity. He prays for oneness. And, uh, and then he models that. He lays down his life for his followers. He lays down his life for us. The God of the universe empties himself of everything and says, you know what, in order to bring us together, I'm going to lay down my life for you. He made others his priority. How are you getting on with that in your life? Maybe this morning the challenge for you and for me is to reorder our priorities. And say one of the things I'm going to make a priority in my life is fellowship, is other people. I'm going to be the kind of person who's going to be devoted to fellowship. I'm not just going to take or leave it. It's going to be a priority in my life. Spending time with other people, praying with other people, encouraging other people, being together in the temple, being together, as it were, being together in the temple and being together in homes, eating together, sharing together. I'm going to make fellowship a priority in my life. Now, this is hard because we're all busy. And uh, when you're having your rich tea biscuit and your cup of tea with somebody after church, 
And if you go up to someone uh, today and you say, hey, you know, hey, hey, Frank, how are you? One of the answers you'll hear is busy. We're all busy. We've all got a million things going on. And so I'm not saying here this morning that this is easy. It's challenging. But I think our God calls us to figure out our priorities. And it might just mean that we have to let some other things go in order to prioritize each other. Maybe today the Holy Spirit will speak to you and just lay something on your heart, lay something in your mind that he's calling you to let go of in order to prioritize fellowship. Second thing is renewed vision. Renewed vision. Now, Jesus, as he's crucified, you know, he's horribly beaten. He's wrongfully accused. He has a crown of thorns put on his head. He's nailed to a cross. Uh, He's hanging there in pain and discomfort. And there's a fascinating passage of scripture in John chapter 19. And um, it says this, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. It's one of those short passages that if you, if you read it quickly, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. Jesus is dying in agony, and yet nearby he sees his mother. He sees the disciple he loves, John. You see, one of the things that pain does in our lives is it causes us to stop seeing others. When you're going through a tough time, if you're not careful, you get blinded to everybody else. You get blinded to their need. You get blinded to their pain, and yet Jesus... As he's going through horrific pain, he still sees the need of others. He sees his mother. He sees the disciple whom he loves. Uh, One of the things that we have to be able to do if we're going to have generosity of our fellowship is we have to really see each other. And if we're not careful, we, we can see each other in kind of superficial ways, can't we? Even when we come together as a church, we, we see what each other are wearing. We see our clothes. We see each other's hairstyles or lack of. We see, uh, we see the labels. We see the cars we drive and the houses we live in. But we can see all of that and not actually see each other. What God calls us to do is to actually see each other, to see each other's hearts to see each other's pain, to see each other's need. And as we see each other, we are drawn together. There was a guy in our church that I was first on staff at. I I was an assistant pastor for a long time. And there was a guy in the church called Harry. And Harry was one of those just faithful guys. You know what I mean? Harry was rock solid. He was always there. He was at every meeting. And he was one of the welcome team. And he would welcome you with a big smile on his face. And he'd say, good to see you in church today. And you just, 
everybody knew Harry was okay. And the problem was that, with that is that everybody knew Harry was okay. And everybody stopped seeing Harry. And I remember being at a meeting once. I think it was a prayer meeting a long time ago. And we were having an open time of sharing. And Harry spoke up and he said, you know what? I nearly gave up this week. And the pastor of the church at the time didn't quite understand what he meant. Uh, and he said, what do you mean? You, didn't, you nearly didn't come to the meeting this week? He said, no, I nearly quit this week. I nearly gave up on Christianity. I nearly gave up on all of it. And see, what we suddenly realized was that Harry had been going through a really difficult time. But nobody had seen him. Everyone had just assumed Harry's okay because he's always there. He always opens the door. He always smiles. He always shakes a hand. He always welcomes us to church. But nobody saw. Nobody asked. How are you, Harry? What's going on in your life? Well, thankfully, we were able to gather around Harry, and he stayed in the church, but we almost messed it up. We almost missed it. We almost got it wrong. And you might be sitting in church today with all kinds of issues in your life, and actually, you're, even though you're in a crowd, you feel alone. Lord, help us to see each other. Thirdly, finally, revived hearts. Reordered priorities, renewed vision, revived hearts. The, generosity is a heart issue, isn't it? It's, not, it's actually not an external issue. Generosity has nothing to do really with the externals, time, money, people. Generosity has everything to do with what's going on in your heart. And here Jesus is on the cross. And just listen to the language he uses. As he's dying on the cross, he sees his mother. He sees John, the disciple he loves. And he says to Mary, woman, behold your son. That's heart language. And then he says to John, behold your mother. That's heart language. He says to his mom, I want you to see John as though he's your own son. John, I want you to treat Mary. I want you to see Mary as though she's your own mother. To have that depth of relationship. See, he doesn't give John a task. He doesn't say, uh, John, take care of my mum. That's task language. And how many of you know that reducing Christianity to tasks and rotors? Anybody else need another rotor? Tasks and rotors are no motivation for Christian living. Oh, but when your heart changes... When we start to see each other as though you are actually my brother, you are actually my sister, you are actually my mother, you are actually my son. Oh boy, that's a different thing. And the result is this. It says that from that moment on, John took her into his home. If we're really going to open our homes to each other, we first have to open our hearts to each other. And that means we need to be transformed. That means that on a Sunday morning in Poynton, where I've run out of time, what that means is we have to say to the Lord, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. If I'm ever going to be generous with fellowship, I need you to change my heart.
So we're going to pray in a moment. And we're going to ask God to, to do that so that our hearts are changed. So that we see each other differently. We respond to each other differently. So that when we, when we actually see each other, our relationship goes several layers deeper. You notice that when you start to speak from the heart to people, it changes everything. For the men, just speak to men for five, ten seconds. Men are very good at talking about the weather and the football. And that's okay. But to have real fellowship, we have to open our hearts to each other. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you that um, you have set for us, Jesus, such a great example. You've set for us such a great example of what real fellowship is, that fellowship is really about laying our lives down for each other, opening up, up our hearts to each other, really seeing each other. And that's the kind of people we want to be, Lord. And we recognize that we can't be that way on our own. We don't have the power within us. We need your power. We need you to change us from the inside out, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who maybe their Christianity has felt a little bit flat lately. They've left, they feel as though they've lost their sense of awe and wonder. Even now, Lord, in this moment of response, as we pray, as we sing together, I pray for something fresh to rise up within them from, by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd reawaken a sense of awe and wonder in people's hearts. Lord, I pray you'd help us to prioritize, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to one another. Forgive us where we pull in opposite directions. Bring us together in unity, Lord. Lord, let the power of the gospel transform our hearts for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.